I know those words, but that sign doesn't make sense. Lisa Simpson. What makes a satire bearable for those who love the subject matter that is being satirized? I think it's love. When you don't have love, what do you got? You know what? We talk about this enough in the episode. Let's get to it. Also, all of this music that you're hearing, it's from iMovie, because the music from this movie wasn't worth finding. (laughs) So, yeah, enjoy the show. Give me another one and make it a double. You look like you've had a bad day. Yeah, tell me about it. Well, you came in here looking like crap, and you haven't said very much. You didn't say that again. Well, you came in here looking like crap, and you haven't said very much. Hey, tell me about it. Well, you came in here looking like crap, and you haven't said very much. Yeah, you say that again. Well, you came in here looking like crap, and you haven't said very much. Hey, tell me about it. Well, you came in here looking like crap, and you haven't said very much. Yeah, you say that again. Well, you came in here looking like crap, and you haven't said very much. Hey, tell me about it. Well... You came in here looking like crap, and you haven't said very much. Yeah, you say that again. Well, you came in here looking like crap, and you haven't said very much. Hey, tell me about it. Well, you came in here looking like crap. Okay, we get the point. Well, first of all, let's say big ol' welcome to everyone listening to A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. Hey, welcome Hello. in. Uh, I'm Welcome. I'm Kelly McCrillis, and always with me is my co-host... Ryan Graves. <laughs> uh, man, the timing on your intro was like a lot of the timings of these uh, these jokes in this movie. Right. <laughs> right. Let me let me just dive right in to uh, my uh, experience and emotions with this movie. Which um, which movie? The movie we're reviewing today is called They Came Together, starring Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd. Sexy and title. Sexy, sexy title, which they didn't even really capitalize on, which surprised yeah, me. Yeah, the only reference was when they showed up at the party together. Yeah, and it wasn't even... Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Okay. Uh, this movie is a um, spoof, parody, satire, whatever you want to call it, on <clears throat> the rom-com genre and especially the Nora Ephron flavor of rom-coms. It is a um, very, very loose spoof of the You've Got Mail plot. Um, and my emotional reaction to this film is I hated it. I hated it too. I, that is- I, I hated it. Cut and dry- but- Um, And I'm going to put this up front and see if uh, you can unpack it with me a little bit. I think this movie, I think parodies in general need to know whether they're cynical or sincere. And Mm -hmm. this movie didn't care about being either. It wanted to, I mean, it kind of wanted to be both at all times, no matter what. Yeah, that'll be our thesis is that um, this movie was one of the most insincere films I've ever seen. Can I say, I like these actors a lot in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't like what they did with the, the... I don't like the writing of this film at all. Um, and I think the performances kind of... I think Amy Poehler especially did as much as she could with it. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I mean, I mean, I mean, this basically was like if you took SNL 
Parks and Rec, The Office, and um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall and mixed it all up into one movie. And mm-hmm. um, then it, it decided to say it decided to flip off the genre rather mm-hmm. than like it, it has no love for the genre almost. Yeah. And I, I think we should acknowledge like at the front of this, like if anyone was going to hate this movie, it would be us because sure. we the whole point of the show is to say, hey, this this genre that people tease so often, like in movies, like they came together our whole like essence is like they shouldn't be teased. They're actually very good. And yes, they can be cheesy sometimes, but there is substance that's good for the heart. Okay. Remember when we were talking about hate watching Twilight? Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about a about that that application of your time when you're saying, I don't like this thing, but there's something about it that I can love. Right Mm -hmm. now, this movie is saying it's not saying there's nothing to love necessarily, but at every point in time, it is cynical about those moments in the genre and without the love. And I, I, I think there has to like if you're I don't even know it's it made me kind of like comedy that kind of hits me wrong, kind of makes me feel a little sick to my stomach. And mm-hmm. that's not to say all the comedy in this movie was bad because right. there, there were definitely, it just didn't, it didn't go far enough in one direction or the other. Like sometimes it'd be very Mel Brooksian and absurd with like mm-hmm. the pole sticking out of somebody's butt where that's, it's just like, right. I right. couldn't place it. I was like, this is a gag from someone else. Like I know this way of comedy. Sure. What is this? It's, it's, very, it's, it's Mel, Mel Brooks, Brooks, but it, it was like, it's if, not even good. Mel Brooks. It's, well, the problem is it's like if you took one part Mel Brooks and then you're like, okay, just sections of this are going to be Mel Brooksian. Other sections of this are going to be kind of um, bad Apatow. Um, yeah. And then other parts of it are going to be an actual romantic comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like I, I like stuff like uh, <laughs> the, the burger when he pulls the burger out of the kid's ear. Yeah. Or, or the coffee shop guys that are just staring at them in the end, like when they're talking in the coffee shop and then it just rests on them. And there's these two guys in the coffee shop just staring at them. And oh, I didn't even notice that joke. I, I'm like kind of busting up at this, um, but it almost feels like it was directed by seven different people. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's get into yeah, what this production is. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get into the production um, because it should be acknowledged who's behind this film and why it's made the way it's made. So it's made by the same team that did the wet, hot American summer film. Uh, have you seen that film? I have. Um, did you like it? Yeah, I did. Okay. I mean, um, I, I liked, yeah. I mean, I liked it in college. Yeah. David Wayne and Michael Showalter. Yeah. Uh, same, same director, same writer. Um, these guys have a comedy troupe. They did, uh, let's see, it's called, um, clearly I'm not in the know of like the, you know, the cult comedy stuff of what these guys have done, but, uh, they did that show Stella that was in 2005. That was a, it was, um, kind of a sketch show. Um, they also did, I mean, they did uh, the big sick. Uh, yeah. Um, they did the state. Um, it was, um, was it Michael Showalter who directed the big sick? Yes. Um, yeah. 
um, these guys are really good at comedy. Yeah, they're they really are. good at comedy. Um, and Michael Showalter is a good director, and David Wayne has done good stuff uh, in the past. And uh, they were also behind that film Role Models with uh, Paul Rudd and um, Sean William Scott. Hated that movie too. Yeah, Sorry, me too. I really hated that movie. Um, I thought that movie was mean. Um, and I think this movie's mean. I think it's mean. I think it's a mean movie. And I, I, I don't want to come off as like a, a kid who who's getting kicked in the groin and saying, you big bullies, like, get off my favorite I genre. Think I don't, hold on. Wait a second. I don't think if that happened, I don't think anybody would blame you. <laughs> um, but I, I see what you're saying. It's 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 more like we're we chose to wear this sweater and somebody is like, your sweater sucks. And then us being really sour about it. But we should be sour about it a little bit because and I've got a lot of thoughts on what's going on emotionally, but I, I do want to stick up for it from a noble point of view, not from a sour point of view. That yeah, I do too. And I think a lot of my criticism is going to be more at the, the execution rather than at the making fun of, because I love making fun of this genre. Like that, yeah. I think that's part and parcel to our show a lot of the time. But it's like, this is our little brother. You don't get to beat up him. We get to beat up him. <laughs> oh, okay. We're not the only ones allowed to make fun of. Um, I think we know that. We're not the only ones allowed to make fun of this. I'll come back to this idea, okay. but it comes down to where you're coming from. Sure. Where, yeah. where where the heart is when you're when What's you're your making, intent? Yeah. Well, let's zoom out. Let's talk about, let's talk about these, these guys. They're very funny. And mm -hmm. I think the movie is funny but the problem is they took a five minute sketch that was stretched into a 80 minute movie very much so this felt like a snl sketch that they decided to make into a feature film which you you can do with night at the roxbury um but those characters themselves are ridiculous and so like they if if they are saying these characters are ridiculous and we're going to follow these characters around for a while that's fine and great. But what this is saying is our concept is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and I, I guess, I guess if you don't believe in a concept, like it's hard for you to parody it in any intelligible way. Yeah. Well, let's look at what they're going for and why it didn't work. Okay. Um, let's look at, let's, let's talk a little bit about Mel Brooks because Mel Brooks um, has made uh, movies and yeah, let's musicals. Talk about the difference between this and like Young Frankenstein, or this and Spaceballs. Yeah, um, Mel Brooks is a very funny man, and he's written very sharp, funny material, and he's also told very compelling stories. Um, you know, The Producers is a very compelling story. <laughs> it is a good story. Oh yeah, and it's also just really funny too. Um, 
Um, but then he's also got movies that are hilarious, like Spaceballs. And, you know, my personal favorite is Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yes. And I'll even go to the bat for Blazing Saddles. Most of it anyway. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? I was surprised at how like meh I felt about Blazing Saddles because I'm like, that's it. That's the, mo- the most Mel Brooks movie that Mel Brooks Brooksed. And I thought Robin Hood Men in Tights actually made me chuckle more. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, that but- also came out for us at that time. <laughs> yeah, but Blazing Saddles is far more incisive and uh, brutal in its, in its social commentary sure. um, that Robin Hood Men in Tights is so it's softball. More, uh, yeah, about. Robin Hood Men in Tights is like having having a laugh with your friends. Yeah. Uh, whereas Blazing Saddles was actually like, hey, let's talk about systemic racism in the Western genre. It's like, OK, oh, OK, we can talk about that. Um, so that's I think that's the thing about Mel Brooks is that when he's on Blazing Saddles, he's he's making actual very sharp commentary about the genres that we love. And he seems to love, too, wouldn't you say? Yes, I would. I would. I think he loves Star Wars, for instance. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think he saw Star Wars and, and was like, this is crap. I don't I don't get any of this. He loves it so much that he can take a figure just like Yoda, make him extremely Jewish and kind of combine the two of those into comedy. You heard of me? Heard of you? Who hasn't heard of yogurt? Yogurt the wise. Yogurt the all powerful. Yogurt the magnificent. Please, please don't make a fuss. I'm just plain yogurt. But you're the one. Yes, I am the keeper of a greater magic, a power known throughout the universe as the- The Force? No, the Schwartz. The Schwartz. Yeah, yeah, and it it feels like this, he kind of approaches movies sometimes like Weird Al approaches music where he's like, I love your music, but I just hear eat it instead of beat it. Uh And I want to make a song about it. (laughs) <laughs> and him, you can hear in Weird Al's voice that he actually thinks the melody that he's singing is beautiful. Yeah, every song. I mean, and you can really see that it. you can see that in all of his polkas that he does. Yo, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. So tell us what you want, what you really, really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. So tell us what you want, what you really, really want. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna really, really, really want to sing If you wanna be my lover, you gotta get with my friend. Yeah, his polkas are like, you guys, this is really good. And he makes his polka because he loves polka and he's good at playing polka and he makes his own arrangements. And he's like, let me prove to you why it's so good. Like the the thing about this movie is a parody of the genre should play as the genre itself, I think. Like, because if I go to, let's say, uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, I'm also watching a fun action adventure. Right. Period. Piece. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's that's it. Like it's it is a parody, but it's also the thing in and of itself. This wasn't a good rom-com by any stretch of the imagination. No, the, the this was written on someone's lunch break when they were working at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't thinking critically about it and they were just kind of like thinking, oh, that's another you know, situation from rom-com. I'll just steal that. And that's not, that's not funny. That's not comedy. That's just thievery. It is. And it's, 
It's, it is so much like, so SNL is, I love SNL and every era is different and you can complain about the ones that you don't like. That's fine. Um, but even, even like when it was getting a lot of flack in like 2000, especially 2013 or so, when nobody seemed to like SNL, I still liked part Mm -hmm. of it, but what it did a lot that kind of bothered me at times is everybody's shoulders would be like kind of canted towards camera and they would like Mm -hmm. look at the camera and say their joke. And then like, like Keenan would toss it to like somebody else and they would like also turn and look at camera and say their joke. And it felt like this movie was turning to camera at all points in times and saying, see what we're doing here. We're making fun of this. Yeah. And like, uh, there's the technical way that they do the humor, which is like, I don't know why you're, why you think it's funnier this way. If you are just calling attention to every single joke you're doing, Ugh. you're Ugh. doing it so blankly that you're, like, <laughs> you're just pointing it out every single line. Lampshade comedy exists because you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pay, call attention to this because it needs it. But a whole movie shouldn't be lampshaded. Yeah. Like when you lampshade something, it's kind of like, it's a peak where it's just like this, like crescendo, this crash symbol. It's like, ha ha. But if you're just, <laughs> if you're just banging your crash symbol every time, it's just like, we get it. And you're giving me a headache. Like this is no longer music. And it was, it, it, it would have been like th- this movie was such like a whiplash of comedy where where like at one point in time you would have somebody toss like I really liked that scene where our main character Paul Rudd tossed um, a football in like a like a you know sixty story office and some uh, I forget his name he's a really funny actor um, he's in the league and um, who's his buddy Jason Manzukas yeah Jason Manzukas he he like accidentally jumps through the window and is hanging oh, yeah. there and it's it's a funny moment and then he gets distracted by um is it Sedacus? uh that comes in oh, the other guy yeah yeah the other guy who's who's part of that comedy troupe it's yeah it's david wayne michael showalter and that guy um, who was who i think his best work was doing the i love the 80s shows on vh1 that was hilarious yeah um But anyway, he comes in the room and he's like, by the way, I'm not going to go sleep with your wife. And he grabs like a rubber from the, from like a roll of rubbers. And I'm like, that joke doesn't even make sense. Like, (laughs) like there's something that you're doing here where somebody like jumps out and is outside of a window. And that's one level of absurdity. And Mm -hmm. then you, you have this other like almost commentary absurdity over here. And those two different absurd comedies just butt heads they don't go together yeah and i feel like this is a comedy for comedians and it was just a and you can tell in the cast that this whole cast was like yeah i'll do it like they were all on board for it and it it felt like you know how you hear about he was a comedian's comedian and then you would like hear the material and you're like i guess that's funny but yeah. like comedians are like, no, 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 it's really good because he's not doing the conventional stuff. He's doing the the edgy stuff. And it's it's like what we're hearing in this movie is lazy, but they're just so 
going for it like that bit where they're he's at the bar and he just they keep just repeating the same line over and over again okay it's like i don't think that's funny (laughs) yeah that's another problem with this is i think that first time they do it is funny right and then they do it a third time and i'm like okay where where is the moment where you're gonna up the stakes of this joke because if you're gonna continue it there needs to be a moment where you change it up yeah and so this is where the studio comes in and be like no, we're not doing this for a minute. You do it, you get your joke and you move on. And the studio notes come in and the the producer comes in and the, your Judd Apatow comes in. It's like, okay, guys, like we, we're making this for a, a big audience. We can't do that. But they're like, fuck it. We don't care. We're just going to do whatever we want. And let's just see what, what happens if it keeps going. If it keeps going, it's not funny. You, you know, this did feel, <laughs> now that you said that, it's almost like, um, they were making this movie and they're like, okay, no, we're just actually practicing our five minute right here. And we're going to see if this set works that way later mm-hmm. on when we bring it on the road, like we know what landed and what didn't land. Yeah. And I feel like no one in the room, they didn't have that Judd Apatow. Cause like, if you watch a Judd Apatow movie, 40 year old virgin knocked up. If you go and look at the deleted scenes, yes. there's yes. hours of content. Uh-huh. And, There's and, so much. And most of it, you're like, oh, well, I mean, that was okay. I'm glad it wasn't in the movie because it like, but, but I like this movie. So now it has kind of a charm to it. Yeah. And Judd Apatow was like, mm, this works, this doesn't work. And he's just focused on the audience experience of it. This movie was three quarters deleted scenes jokes. You know what? I feel like it's, <laughs> I would say four quarters deleted scenes jokes where <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, this felt like cutting room floor material where yeah. all these people feel like that weird wacky supporting character that's only in 10 minutes of that movie like this but it's the whole movie like the, i'm pun definitely intended here because that's where i'm at like the shit scene where <laughs> like he, their boss comes over to a halloween party and he can't get his costume off so he shits himself and then they spend five minutes talking about it in the living room it's like this stuff is why I don't like the version of Step Brothers that I saw because I yeah. saw like the uncut version and yeah, I, like that movie was just not good to me because it was six minutes of people blatantly having sex where people could see them and I like I don't know like it, no you're the right comedy, there are some movies where the where it's a PG thirteen release and they come out with the R release I always say don't watch the R version there's a reason why it should be PG thirteen oh, and, and it's not because way. we're prudes it's because the comedy ends up sucking a lot of the times yeah because it's so freaking obvious and this movie was nothing if not obvious yeah um I you know it's just like I think our listeners will hear me on other episodes and. I strangely, I think of what we've reviewed so far, I feel like you've fallen on the little bit more critical side. Would you concur with that? Um, I have been, you know, and. But you, I don't think in general you are more critical. I feel like most of the time I'm more critical. Yeah, but for some reason, for some reason, the ones that we've watched on this show, if I haven't been um, 100% into it, I have been a little bit heavier. Yeah, and I think that's great. And it's like those episodes, like, especially like, um, to all the boys I've loved before, I'll like step in and be like, now let's just give it the benefit of the doubt of whatever it is, because the intent behind it is noble. And I I think you and I aspire to have the attitude of Robin Williams and dead poet society. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Where the, that scene where the kid who doesn't care does the poem about the cat 
And mm-hmm. you're thinking, oh, Robin Williams is going to come down hard on him. The cat set on the mat. Congratulations, Mr. Hopkins. You're the first poem to ever have a negative score on the Pritchard scale. <laughs> we're not laughing at you, we're laughing near you. I don't mind that your poem had a simple theme. Sometimes the most beautiful poetry can be about simple things, like a cat or a flower or rain. You see, poetry can come from anything with the stuff of revelation in it. Just don't let your poems be ordinary. You wanted to write about a cat? That's a noble thing, too. You can write about a cat. Just Yeah, just do it to whatever. the best of your ability. Care about it. Yeah. And that's why I don't feel bad about letting loose against this film, because it's like you clearly have a disdain towards this genre. So I will clearly have a disdain towards your work for it. And I, <laughs> and I like your other work. Watch I out. Like Ryan's, the, Ryan's bringing out the big guns. No, but like I would defend the nobility of To All the Boys I Love Before. It didn't quite work for us, but at least there sure. was intent behind it where they Me were trying too. and it didn't totally work, but that's fine. They, they tried it. They, they were coming from a place of love. And that's why when, when we started talking about All the Boys I Love Before, I wanted to say like, hey, you came out there and you tried to make a movie and you did make a movie and it wasn't necessarily for me, but I want to praise that thing. This was a whole bunch of people with a bunch of like, like, I mean, this is, this is Leslie Nope time period. This is like mm-hmm. height of their powers comedians yeah. just yeah. saying, you know what, let's, let's do this movie. And I, I feel like a lot of people who wanted to make this movie just wanted to hang out together and yes. like kick, kick a genre because it's funny and that can be fun and funny. And like, the fuck, they, like they, like part of this movie I think was shot on the new girl set. <laughs> Right. Like I, I think like right. that, that, that brick apartment, I'm almost certain that that was the new girl set. Um, but it almost seemed pointless. Like, yeah, you weren't telling us anything new that was funny about this genre, but yeah, that I think the major tragedy of it is there's a lot of, there's a lot of like jokes in this movie that kind of landed for me. Yeah, and, I I didn't not laugh. I still laughed. Yeah, I still at laughed at this movie, but um, the stuff that was bad just really sucked a lot of the air out of it. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to continue to be mean throughout this whole episode uh, because okay, well, um, I'll try to be the light one this this time. Then, <laughs> okay, let's say that you are. It it almost seemed like, gosh, this is. Maybe this is maybe we'll cut this, but it almost seemed like when you when you don't understand a political stance and then you attack that political stance. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think essentially they don't understand what they're making fun of. Yeah, where they're like they know the tropes of it, but they don't know why those tropes exist. And, and I, I uh, even don't want to say that because these are smart people and surely they know. Right. But it didn't seem like it. It's kind of like when you meet a celebrity and they're not nice in real life and it kind of ruins your whole image of them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Keep um, going with that. Have you met a celebrity that let you down? Um, most of my celebrity interactions have been pretty good. Um, when That's I, true. I was on a movie with Michael Bean once and, um, he was a gentleman, wasn't he? Yeah. He was I mean, he was great. He was, he was, you know, Yeah. Like, I don't think I've met a celebrity that's let me down, actually. 
So sorry, ruined your story. Um, oh, it's it's like when um, we when we were shooting Emily and Brian was telling stories about you know oh I made this thing with this guy and he was a total asshole and I was just almost like kind of like stop Don't telling me, me stories yeah. <laughs> like you're ruining all these like actors for me he's like yeah that guy he's a jerk i'm like no he seems so nice he's like yeah <laughs> just like don't tell me anymore i can't stand it and it's just like to hear to watch these performances especially someone like paul rudd where i'm like you've been in rom-coms you've been in some of the most important rom-coms and your presence in this movie is is as if to say that you as a performer think they're dumb and you think like every actor in this movie felt like Aren't rom-coms stupid? They're just well, stupid. Okay, and that's that's maybe where I'm going to draw the line because I can see I can see this script in the hands of some of these actors and they're sent this script by one of their friends and I don't think on the page this movie reads as rough as it does on screen. It, it's really in the direction. I really think it it's really in the comes off really mean. Because and if someone like Mel Brooks took it, could have crafted something very loving. Yeah. Um, and because there's like the difference, like this, this feels like a movie directed by Michael Scott. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where, where he, he direct, he like filmed everybody around the office and he decided to make fun of all of them. Um, and if Jim had directed that movie, it might've been something or Pam, perhaps it might've been something where everybody was like, Oh, like, yeah, that person is funny like that, but that person could have also laughed. But mm -hmm. this isn't a movie where I, I think if Nora Ephron watched this, she'd just be like, okay, you guys are just shitting everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Very funny. You're just, <laughs> it's just kind of like. People who seem to enjoy it, I can understand a rom-com fan enjoying this movie. And I won't, I won't disdain you for liking this. And I will understand it. Because it's not that they're wrong. No, they no, are no. right. All, all the pieces are there. Yeah. They are correct in the tropes that they're making fun of. It's just their attitude is so toxic that it, it's, it's just odious to me. I'm, I'm trying to find another comparable example of this, but like even something like let's, let's take scary movie. Okay. Because mm -hmm. that is, that is a, um, before like that whole, um, like troop decided to take on every single genre and try to make a, a parody of it. Scary movie was like in essence, a pretty good comedic look at the horror genre. Right. Yeah. But they obviously love that genre so much. And it's it's a really hard thing to like point to and be like, see, they they're even though they're making fun of Scream, it's obvious that they really liked it. Um, and they actually tried and they actually composed characters that had some substance to the point where they got sequels out of it. Oh, they, I mean, they actually had four sequels. Yeah. And I haven't, strangely and weirdly, I haven't seen Scary Movie 1 or 2, but I loved Scary Movie 3 when it came to theaters. I thought it was hilarious. And I actually, you know, for an hour and a half was kind of interested in what was going on with these characters, mm -hmm. you know. But what's going on in this movie is that they composed characters that were so blank and so dull and was only there as placeholders to make fun of these 
tropes that the only thing I can tell you is that they worked at candy stores and I, they have no other personal traits. They have no other, there's nothing else to them. If they made a sequel, who the hell knows what the sequel could follow? Yeah. Like, um, what's, uh, uh, Amy, Amy Poehler's character was clumsy and they like kept making fun of that at first, but then it disappeared. Yeah. And like, it was a funny like, idea for a sketch for, for a, for a moment, like maybe a three minute sketch, it would have been funny. Um, or if you made an entire movie about how clumsy somebody was, maybe, but this movie had way too much going on. It was like, you took yeah. 12 different Lego sets and you're like, I want you to build just a rom-com parody. And you're like, well, star Wars has got to go in here somewhere. Cause we got a lot of <laughs> lightsabers. Have you watched, you would say that you've watched a fair number of SNL movies that is produced by Lauren Michaels, written and directed and starring SNL people. Yeah. So you've got Blues Brothers is the very best. Mm -hmm. Then like right next to that is Wayne's World. Um, And then, you know. Was Mystery Men? uh... No, but uh, you also have like. I really like A Night at the Roxbury. It's yeah. kind of not as good, but I think it's fun. But then you have a lot of other movies that are loose SNL movies. There was this one, I can't remember what it's called, but it came out a few years ago and it was filmed in Oregon. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Um, it starred, it starred like C-list SNL actors where it's like not Will Ferrell people, not not Kristen Wiig people. I don't know this movie. But it, it was filmed in Oregon, so that was cool. Okay. Um, and it was like an out great outdoors kind of comedy and it's just kind of like, well, I guess you don't have it. Like you tried, you tried to make a comedy. It wasn't good. wasn't memorable. I can't remember what it's called. I can't remember what it's about. Um, but at least you tried to make a movie. You're not ready for that next step. Whereas you have bridesmaids, which is Kristen Wiig. And we saw her in SNL and she was really good in SNL. And then it's just like, okay, so she's the the top dog at SNL. She's going to go and do movies now. Does she have what it takes to do the Blues Brothers, Wayne's World? Like, can she carry a movie? Can she bring that comedy aura over to film as an and elevated the answer form? answer is a resounding yes. Yeah. And Bridesmaids is one of the best um, uh, comedy, romantic comedy, what do you call it? But it's one of the best movies. Uh, one of the best comedies. And she she brought it and the movie is a good movie. What's going on here is that these people are sketch comedians that are, are behind this, the David Wayne, Michael Showater, they're sketch comedians. And what they made was just a bunch of sketches put together. Right. It's like, we're not looking for more sketches. It wasn't tied together by a story. It was tied together literally by the genre itself. Yeah. And what's really odd is like, you've made other good movies. What happened? And maybe they learned their lesson. Maybe that's why Big Sick is good because it's like it's that's a human story and it's not told like a sketch. Because this was 2014, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's like having a sketch artist come in and try and do a painting, but didn't bring any paint. No, this is like a (laughs) this is like a sketch artist saying, "Okay, I guess I'm going to animate this feature film. (laughs) Yeah. And the production, um, for a studio acquisition, this was a very paltry production. Bad job. Just bad job, everybody. You you cheaped out. You didn't try. You just did blue screen stuff. I saw 
like the the VFX work was bad. Like the green screen compositing was bad. I saw oh, like Halo the sign. I saw, yeah, the, it was like, and then they put like his sign up there, and it's like, look, if you, I know you guys are trying to be cheap because you, you are trying, but when you're trying to use cheapness to make funny, it, like. I don't know. It de- definitely doesn't work digitally because you're still paying somebody to comp that nonsense. No, it, it looked really, really amateur. It looked like something you and I made a long <laughs> on, time ago. On nothing. <laughs> yeah, like literally having no budget. It looked and like you, something I made for a 40-hour film fest. Yeah, and you, yeah, it had the budget of a 40-hour film or the look of no, a 48-hour film yeah. fest. Maybe just a budget. But you have an Amy Poehler movie, a Paul Rudd movie, uh, that for... 20 years Paul Rudd has been in major studio content films and this is the best you can do. It looked bad. It looked really bad. And it it wasn't in like it was in that weird like uncanny valley of is this bad or not? Because like the sign that they put up for his coffee shop at the end where he like pulls down the sheet and it's just like his sign is tacked onto her sign. And you did that as a comp? You like, did that why as not a, just make it cardboard? Just like, go and actually make the cardboard. Take five minutes. Don't make the, your digital artist do it. Who's clearly an intern, like not trying. And it's just like, <laughs> where has that worked? Like if you, if you look at Blazing Saddles, Blazing Saddles is that good because it's actually competitive with other Western budgets. Right. It's actually and, and, a great looking Western. And the funny thing about it is they'll they'll have a set that um, is like an old um, <laughs> is an old Western set. And then they'll have one of the buildings f- fall down, one of the flats, like mm-hmm. fall down into the street. That's funny. Even that Monty is, Python knew that when they made Holy Grail, they're like, yeah, it's cheap. And they bring yeah, attention it's a to fuzzy it. bunny. Yeah, they know it. it's cheap. <laughs> They don't, they can't afford horses. So these coconuts, they actually acknowledge and be like, yeah, we're a comedy production. We can't do that. Oh, <sighs> I know I'm, I'm so like, and the problem is, is like, we love like Bill Hader, Amy Poehler, um, Paul Rudd, like sign me up any day to watch what they do. But this this feels like poison to me laughing. And and I laughed during this and I felt bad when I laughed because I knew that like the next moment I'd be feeling so sad. I felt like I was in a bad relationship. Well, remember when you were in junior high and... Um, well, I blocked that all out. <laughs> but no, like yeah. that, that feeling where some kid would make a racist joke, a homophobic joke, and you're 13, you don't know any better and you laugh at it. And then 30 seconds later, you're like, Oh, why do I feel guilty? And it's just kind of like, oh, oh, that wasn't funny. That was, that was racist. That was mean. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like this movie is like racist to rom coms. It's like it feels like it's derogatory. Pre- it's, it's prejudice towards rom coms for sure. Yeah, I would call it derogatory humor, where it's just like, like, like what what I imagine this movie did. Like, gosh, I just imagine the premiere of this movie everybody going to watch it. And like, I, I remember I've been in premieres of movies that I worked on or made. And there are moments of it where I'm just like squirming. Cause I'm like, I don't like this. And I made it. 
Yeah. And I, yeah. I hope that some people felt like, like, I don't want to wish that on anybody, but cause it's a bad feeling, but I hope somebody felt that when they were watching this. I, I, I want to talk about the attitude the film takes. Um, and for me, it's like, it's not laughing with you. It's laughing at you. Like the film is laughing. Like I feel like Mel Brooks is laughing with the genre. Like it's just like, or you know, when like a buddy gives you a good ribbing about you, you're like, ah, yeah. I, I do uh, do that, don't I? And you, you're you can just laugh along with it because he he gets you. But well, and there were laugh. moments. The problem is, is this movie? There were moments like that, like when Colby Smulders gets out of bed the first time, and like yeah, her that sheet, was funny. <laughs> her sheet is stuck to her. Yeah, that there was are good. so many moments like that peppered throughout this where I'm like, no. You guys are smart. You get this genre. So why do you have to be so prejudiced against it at the same time? It 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 feels like the filmmakers were trying to mount their own movies and they were trying to make like smart, interesting indie-like films that were like the big sick or something like that. And all the people in their life were like, you should make something more conventional, like a rom-com. You should make something more conventional, like a rom-com. And they, it feels like they had gotten all these like people saying, you should make a rom-com. It's like, I don't want to make a rom-com. They're stupid. And they're like, they're not stupid. And they're like, I'll show you. They're stupid. And it just is this, <laughs> it's like this um, document to say, everyone who's liked rom-coms are stupid and rom-coms themselves are stupid. And the fact that movie studios just want to make rom-coms are stupid. Yes, I agree. And you know what? I so um, I have kind of walked in on quite a few Hallmark movies in uh, uh, not that Robin's watching that uh, Robin's mom is watching. Um, and goodness sakes, they are like some of these kids are so bad. Mm-hmm. Like like half of them feel like the army has paid for Hallmark to say, it's okay if you go off to war, everybody will be waiting for you when you get home. <laughs> yeah. Like they're not good movies and they're like bad scripts. Most people are phoning it in. You know, if somebody's a good actor, if they can go into a Hallmark film and come out the other side, not smelling like bad acting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but at this and and, and, so I see this and I'm like, I can see you making fun of these. I can see somebody ripping these apart in a way that these, this movie ripped romantic comedies apart, but the romantic comedies that this is doing this to are good romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's taking, you've got mail and it's saying all of that was crap. And it's like, no, there are things to make fun of for sure. But, and you, you guys do get at that, but then you, like the, like when, when Paul Rudd is always like turning around and he's saying, thanks. Yeah. And that works like 50% of the time, but yeah. the other 50% of the time, it's like, you guys are beating a dead horse. It's like, you think this comedy is, is funny, but can you see that it's dead? Like, can you see that yeah. you have already like slit its throat and maybe that was cool the, when we got to see it die, but now you're just stabbing it over and over again. It's like watching the shower scene in Psycho, except she's 
actually dead the whole time. Yeah. And the the delivery of every single line in this movie and every single person's performance in this movie is completely 100% bald faced winking at you of like, I'm going to say this stupid line now. Like every line I'm saying is so stupid, right? Right. And it feels like a high school senior, like, like that jock guy, like who's in Romeo and Juliet only to, to make fun of it. He's like, uh, Juliet guys, check this out. Isn't this stupid? This is so stupid, right guys? So dumb. And it, and like, that's, what's offensive about it is like, you're making fun of a genre that's full of artists, um, Oscar winning artists, might I add like brilliant artists who have commented on the human condition and you're making fun of them. Like you're making fun of people who want to like, entertain and sing about why love is important. And you want to make fun of that. Like I don't easily get offended by people. I always try to give them the benefit of the doubt, especially like within religion, like especially with a movie like life of Brian, it's like, calm down, everybody. It's Monty Python. Like they don't mean anything like that. They're just making fun of religiousness. They're not making fun of Jesus. And I'm just like, can y'all calm down? But this, I'm just like, no, they're making fun of people that are, impassioned they're making fun of, they're not making fun of like something that's ah, ah, just ah i know it's mean i know it's mean like um have you ever seen one punch man i know you're not super into i know anime. what it is i know what it okay. is okay one punch man does a really good job at taking a genre and kind of pointing out that it has these tropes and these tropes are kind of funny but then it also says, but isn't anime freaking cool? Not once mm-hmm. in this movie did I think that anybody like liked love. Like, did everybody did everybody get divorced right before they made this movie? Yeah, it's so jaded. And it's okay. You can make a jaded rom-com. Yeah, I like a jaded rom-com. Like, have you ever seen Risk Cutters a Love Story? It's it's good. It's but but you're coming from a place of hate. Like that's yeah. just how it feels like. Yeah. It it feels bitter, but like you have no reason to be. Yeah. And it's just like, go, go shit on someone else's yard. Like you're not doing anything <laughs> helpful or productive right now. That's a, that's an amazing idiom that I've never heard. <laughs> right? Like they're Get just off our lawn. Don't shit on our lawn. <laughs> but I think this movie is a big bully. It is. Yeah. And I, and I I do feel like the kid in his like bard's clothes where like I'm doing Shakespeare in the park and like all these college <laughs> are just jocks just come by and like, Duh! just like <laughs> making fun of me. And I'm throwing, like throwing skulls at you. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, hey, I'm doing art and that's noble. But uh, what can I say? Like I, I knew uh, one of my, one of my friends in college, Soren Baird, he hated, um, comedy music, like, uh, like did not like the, uh, flight of the Concords, um, because it was, it was taking this, this noble art and making like comedy out of it. That's not what we're saying. Like that, that is, we, we like when you can take something that is serious and kind of make light of it. I, I think you'd yeah. agree, right? Yeah. Have you seen Saved? I love Saved. 
Okay, Saved is a really good example because Saved is religious satire and you're already treading on extremely dangerous ground when you start in that category. Um, but me as a Christian watching this, I'm just watching. I'm like, fair, fair, good point. Yep. You got well, it right. Because all these characters uh, like live in this world. It's a real world. This movie that we watched wasn't a world. It was, it was like, it felt like being stuffed into a VHS tape. You know, when VHSs go wonky and yeah. like all of the film just spits everywhere. Yeah. I felt like I was just in a VHS tape. That doesn't make sense, but that's the feeling I get. Yeah, I get you. Let's talk about satire for a second and, and okay. why satire works and why this film is maybe trying to do satire and why it, why it fails. So like with a movie like saved, it is a flat out satire. It's satirizing contemporary Christian culture, and they make very valid, sharp, incisive, comedic jabs at religiousness. And I think that's really actually very important for society to actually engage with that kind of art and and have kind of an outside perspective like, you know, it looks a little kooky when you do this. And it's just kind of like, yeah, I can see you. I can see why it would be weird. And it's a good conversation starter. And if it's like as incisive as saved, it can also be like, hey, re-education camps, those really suck. And it can like it can get people who don't believe that to start watching a movie and be like, oh, oh, I can think differently through your satire. Yeah. And it's like, that's eh, kind of fucked up. It's like, you know, I didn't think about it like that, but you you've presented this to me in such a like entertaining like, way yeah, mm-hmm. that I finally can see the forest for the trees. Um, the Simpsons. Not saying that it took us th- that movie. <laughs> we to knew see it that, then, but, yeah. <laughs> but we were like, yeah, fair point. And the Simpsons does this in every good episode where they point at something and they're like, you know, corporate culture is X. And it's like, yeah, fair, fair, very incisive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the office is satirizing office culture and, uh, when you look at early office, it's, you know, Michael Scott is like the early office episodes were actually much more social commentary on the modern working office. And it was like, bosses are idiots. Management is middle management is a joke in corporate America, literally. And this is why, you know, we're doing so poorly. And this is why people hate going to work. Um, an office office space gets at that even more sharply, but at least the office started as a satire and it ended as a sitcom. Like mm-hmm. it, it didn't really satirize anything by the end of its run and that's okay. But the, the, the point is it started with characters and the characters right. just got more and more fleshed out and it's it, the storylines got more and more compelling and more and more interesting and it just made everything work. But this, this movie literally starts with, um, Paul Rudd, Amy Poehler, Bill Hader, and what's her name from The Office? Ellie Kemper. Ellie Kemper, thank you. Um, it starts with all of them having a nothing conversation at a restaurant. They're just like two couples like having a stupid double date, or so we think. And um, then we kind of get a How I Met Your Mother, This Is How We Fell in Love story. Um, and as soon as we're introduced to the characters after that, like they, they start saying, Oh, it's like a romantic comedy. And so they're hitting the nail on the head, like as like right out of the gate, they're like, this is like a romantic comedy. And then they go on to describe it. And it is quote unquote, like a romantic comedy, but they're, 
they're just like, she was clumsy. I mean, she was clumsy. And they're not making characters. They literally craft caricatures through dialogue and comedy and comedy, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that's fine and, for a three minute sketch because it's a sketch. Sure. But, but you're like, making I, a movie. You're making like, a narrative. The the points I'm making, though, like I, I wouldn't say that the sheriff of Nottingham in Men in Tights is necessarily a, a big character. He's kind of a caricature as well. But I would I don't know. He has much more to him than any character in this film. Yeah, I I care about every single character on screen in Robin Hood Men in Tights, even though a lot of it's just kind of shallow plotting. But that's OK. Like. I still get everybody and I still like them and I still want to know what happens to them next. But there's no, there's no, you didn't try. And that's the, that's the second worst thing. The first worst thing is you were mean about the subject material. You hated what you were talking about and you think it's dumb. But secondly, when you actually had to do the requisite work of having characters on a screen, you didn't even try to build out a plot. You didn't even try to build out a story. You just put on just these tropes and these sketched characters and just say, eh, like you're not trying. It's like your production. Your production is this 48 hour film festival production and your actual storytelling is this 48 hour film production where you're not even thinking about it. You're not even trying. Like I want to be as mean as that. But the, the thing is, it felt like they were trying half the time. Like it, it felt like partway through everybody knew that this movie wasn't as good as they expected it to be. And so maybe, maybe that was it because like you'd have like Ed Helms and um, Amy Poehler meet up. He's like, he's, he's her accountant and then he ends up dating her and almost marrying her. And at one point in time, there's this joke about his wife leaving him and going off with his brother and his brother just happens to work right behind him. And they're like, why did, why did she leave Ed Helms? And it's like, that was kind of funny, but it was like halfway through that sketch. They just gave up. They're just Mm -hmm. like, they're like, I, I can't believe in the jokes in this anymore. Yeah. And I will give them the one grudging respect is that you did pepper the screenplay with jokes because you know there are bad comedies where like role models didn't have nearly as many jokes you know it just was like people being trashy towards one another and like apparently that was funny to people it's kind of like 40 year old virgin uh 40 year old virgin i would i would defend that there's there's a lot of sequences where they're, they're going for jokes they're they're still trying but when i go into a bad comedy you know it's bad when no one in the audience is laughing because there's no opportunity to laugh because there's no joke. But sure. sometimes you go into a comedy that maybe doesn't work for you, but other people are laughing because like there's actual, you know, work going on. So I will say they did try in the sense of there's some aspiration towards an airplane level of like frequency yeah. of jokes. Uh-huh. But the the execution was so bitter and so poor, it didn't matter. I think the the feeling I get from this movie is um, that the writer's room, like there was no writer's room of this script because I just watched a um, a Black Adder like mini documentary on what the writer's room was like mm-hmm. in Black Adder, and so you have like Rowan Atkinson and Stephen Fry 
and like everybody else who was involved in that, just like arguing with each other back and forth on what is funny and trying to convince each other that this is funny and we should do this and people shooting each other down left and right. And they, they crafted something that, you know, Blackadder, I think is hilarious, but I get where some jokes just don't land for people, but they crafted something that had a voice and a spirit to it. And it was one that loved the ridiculousness of like pompous dukes and, yeah, and history um, and lords and, and history play on that. And this movie seemed to be like, almost like the writing was scoffing at itself. It was, <laughs> it, it was like, it, it was like that, like two people wrote this movie in separate rooms, never had the chance to argue for their jokes. And half the time they were writing jokes at the other writer. Like, it's so weird. I've never watched a movie like this. Yeah. And I just, it came to mind. I, I will shout out the stray moment that I did like, which is Michael Shannon running full tilt with a sword over his head. I, I thought that was fun. Yeah, I thought that was fun too. And like until it wasn't until you it, like killed the joke by shooting him in the face with this really fake CGI thing. And Sarah's in the room and she like was giggling at Michael Shannon. And then they did the bit where he was in the background and she got, and she just, she does the scoff where she, <laughs> she's not judgmental, but she does a scoff where she, the scoff basically means, Oh, you cheaped out. Can you, can you do it for us? <laughs> it, it would be like, um, yeah, yeah, that's definitely a Sarah scoff. Just like, um, okay, like that was mean. Like you got me invested in this bit and then you ruined the bit. And it's this, it's like um, at, at one point in time, Paul Red doesn't know that Colby Smulders is cheating on him and he comes home and he doesn't hear them. And you think it's not going to be at first he doesn't hear them, but it's like for a minute and a half when they're having sex, like really loudly, almost right next to him. He just still doesn't see them. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he does. And it's like, Oh no. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's like you don't believe in the jokes you're telling. Yeah. And, and that's why I, I, I would call this like comedy for comedians. Cause they're like, what if you just kept going with the bit? Like you didn't actually stop the bit. You just kept going with it. And like, he doesn't hear her, but he, he also like Hold sees on. her and doesn't notice. This is also what happened. <laughs> yeah. What if, what if the bits never stopped, man? Yeah. But oh. it's like, it's like avant-garde or experimental art where they're like, well, why can't a song be 16 minutes long? And then it's, yeah, <laughs> it's like fish being like, dude, we're going to riff for 20 minutes straight just on one song on an album full of other 20 minutes. Yeah. Which is why the people who like rush are not normal people. They are people like me who is a drummer. And the reason why I liked rush to begin with, because drums, because it was music for musicians. So do you think funny people just love this movie then? I think that's why they got the cast is that they're like, oh, finally, I get to do the bits that I've always wanted to do. And I, I'm not going to be hemmed in by by these other people. I can just finally just go for it and do a five minute bit. where We're just going back and forth and repeating the same thing over and over again. Yeah, but like Keenan and Ed Helms and like, I mean, some like most of the people in this movie didn't get to do like fun bits. It was just. <sighs> like the funniest thing was the pull up the ass. Which is just straight out of ML Brooks movie. 
right? Yeah. Like that wasn't like your their voice as filmmakers, like the filmmaking voice. When you're in a Mel Brooks movie, you know it. This yeah. it was just like okay, you're trying to be airplane, you're trying to be Blazing Saddles. That's all I got. Like you're you don't have but, any. You're not bringing anything but, to the table. But like, <laughs> but then there's like the stories that they'll tell. Like hey. Okay, this is I this I can I can point out to it in in one sketch that didn't exist. This is where Kelly and Ryan rewrite the movie. Hit it, boys. You write your first draft with your heart. And you rewrite with your head. Okay. So at one point in time, he's in the office with um, Jason Mendukis. Is that his name? Mendukis. He's in the Menzoukas. office with Jason Menzukis and he he's like, I don't like Halloween. And he's like, you like there was this one time when I was put on the ground and this kid said titty or dicks or tits. And he they made me choose. And he's like telling this story where, first off, we don't really know what happened to him. Like maybe he got like his nipples twisted or his dick punched. <laughs> Or they, sh- I like you don't really know what happens. It's a poorly told story. But on top of that, whatever it is, should be shown in flashback. Uh-huh. Like if you're gonna be a ridiculous movie where there's people falling out of windows and like poles being up people's butts, um, and you really want to lean hard into that, give us that scene. It, yeah, it would at least be funnier than somebody telling a bad story. And that's what I mean. Like, like if you're going to have Paul Rudd walk in on somebody cheating on him, have it be like ridiculous the way that they're cheating on him. Like what if it's like a, like a super funny sex dungeon or what if like they're hanging upside down from somewhere? Don't tell us the whole joke. I did. Like, let us experience it. I, I did. I did giggle at the other sex scene where it's their shadows. I did. No, giggle that's at funny. That. But, but again, that's them showing it to us. But also, again, that's them doing Austin Powers. That's Austin Powers humor. Like, that's what that was what was that's, great. That's forgetting Sarah Marshall humor. Yeah. Like, which is a much better movie. Oh, yeah. And it also has Paul Rudd and Bill Hader as a character listening to a story half the time. Like, forgetting Sarah Marshall is the good version of this film. Yeah. In a, in a manner of speaking. Yeah. And and again, like um, when you had Mike Myers doing Austin Powers, it's like we're doing the Mel Brooks thing, but it felt different. It felt distinct and it felt like Mike Myers way of storytelling. And he was doing things that he was doing jokes that Mel Brooks wouldn't do. And yet they're of the same piece. They're of the same mold that they very much are playing in the same genre where it's a spoof genre where. Yeah. Mike OK, Myers that's a much this. better spoof movie. Exactly. And they got because, three movies out of like, it. Do you, OK, do you remember do you remember uh, Paul Rudd's or Amy Poehler's name? No. And it's not just because this movie isn't titled Austin Powers. I don't think it's they because, got names. I don't uh, yeah, think the writers got that far. Th- they were they were just caricatures. They and they barely even that. They were ah okay. So so the genres have dimension to them, and that's why they exist. Is because they can tell multiple stories in a form. Um, and what this the, what this movie does is it says no 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 no, the whole genre itself is two dimensional. 
Mm-hmm. There's nothing to see here besides what's on the screen. Yeah, and I think the reason why you and I are so offended is like, you have not been paying attention to this. You are that stupid. Yeah, and I, like, because I'll give you, there's a lot of silly, stupid stuff in this genre. Yeah, and, but- the, tr- and the tropes that you point out, yeah, it's weird. Like, why do women have that, like, bath towel, like, sheet over their chest like that? It's It's a funny, interesting, that's a funny joke. You nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. And, or like, like they, they go to bed and they wake up in the same clothes that they were in the night before. Yeah. That's funny. But it's, it's like you, you, you forgot what was funny about it after that moment. Well, I, I, another spoof I do want to say this works in is airplane because it's, it's a laugh a minute, but it's also making fun of disaster movies. That's what it's a spoof of. It's making fun of the airport, airport movies. Um, and all the other disaster movies like Tower and Inferno and all that. Um, okay. I actually do have another thing to say because okay. I agree with you, but, um, speaking of another tall, gangly, white haired man, um, the jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the jerk, there's a scene that Robin, Robin watched this movie with me and she pointed out that in the jerk, there's a scene where he like leaves the house and he's like, this is all I'm taking with me. And then he comes back and he's like, and I'm taking this chair. Yeah, and, the, and and it's so stupid, but it's right, somehow but believable. We somehow because, buy it because that character would do that thing. These characters, I don't know what they do. I don't yeah. know what they want. But They're every just, every farcical thing that Steve Martin does in The Jerk, where it's like he goes out with just the dog to cover him up, and it's just like, what are you thinking, man? And it's like, no, we've established that he's the jerk, that he's that stupid, and we've put in the work to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing for hot rod. Are you a fan of hot rod? Okay. So that's the movie that has been recommended to me a hundred times and I still haven't seen. Oh, okay. Well, hot rod was one of those Whitworth, um, like, did you have a film? Whitworth is the school we went to. <laughs> did you have a film in your, do- wait, were you in a dorm? You did. Yeah, you- I was in Ballard. Ba- no, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> that's all female dorm on campus. Um, that was a joke I, for you, Whitworth people. I was in Duval. Go Bucks. That's right. You were in. You were in do what? Duval. Okay. Another Whitworth joke for you, Go Buccaneers. <laughs> um, but did you have a movie that your whole dorm was just obsessed with? Not uh, a new I movie. I mean, we were we were the office dorm. Okay. Well, in my theme house, the cinema theme house, we did the office premiere. So I don't know where you guys were. Um. We were having sex. No, you weren't. You wasn't allowed <laughs> on campus. We were prude Christians. <laughs> um, no, no. We we actually in the in the upstairs room. Um, you know the movie room in Duval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we hosted um, uh, weekly uh, office watching parties. Okay, for us in Mac, it was this hot rod movie where yeah. the Room of the Gods, uh, the RA literally. I think he watched it every day for a month. Holy crap. I think that's like, do you know the podcast, the worst idea of all time? Yeah. 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 Where they just watch one movie a year every week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think he watched it every day. And it's one of those movies that it's not as good as Wayne's World. It's not as good as any of the other SNL movies, but it's, it's, it's on par with A Night at the Roxbury. And I totally prefer Hot Rod over a lot of those movies. Wayne's World is my absolute top uh, SNL movie, sure. but Hot Rod is very close second because there's a strange sincerity to the whole thing where mm-hmm. it, it's it's an absurd plot where this 
overgrown man child wants to be like an evil Knievel kind of guy, but he has a motorcycle that's, you know, like that costs 200 bucks. And it's just, um, these characters are silly and, um, it's, it's playing on the same logic as the jerk where it's like, if you met these people in real life, you wouldn't buy it, but somehow you buy it on screen. And I think it's because of the sincerity. Um, um, I think, I think what a good movie like that convinces us of is there is a possibility that this person exists in real life. And I, I think what this movie does that we watched this week is it says it, it doesn't even beg the question. Could these people exist in real life? Yeah, no, they don't. There's no way. No, not at all. No, but even, even Wayne's world, especially Wayne's world, there's yeah, a Wayne totally. on every corner. Yeah. And they're ridiculous. And you could even run into an Austin powers somewhere at some point there is an Austin powers that exists. In the vast history of the universe, Austin Powers existed, or at least somebody like him existed. Yeah. And props to Mike Myers on spoofing such a strange genre to spoof in the first place. Oh, for sure. Um, and like the James Bond genre, but like the like knockoff James spoofing Bond genre. Hard. Yeah. The Roger yeah. Oh, Moore, yeah. the wannabe Roger Moore movies that were just horny. <laughs> That's what he's spoofing. <laughs> yeah, because nobody would dress in a velour suit if they were going to <laughs> spy. <laughs> but what this movie's doing is they're not even going after some, it's not even like spoofing this genre is an easy target. And you, where they nailed it were in those sketch ideas where SNL has done this, where have you seen that Kristen Stewart one where it's Pete Davidson and one of them was working at a coffee shop and they have this meet cute and they're like, Hey, I never do this, but do you want to go to dinner sometime? And like, sure. And the joke of the sketch is that they don't exchange numbers and they're making fun oh, of, yeah, a, yeah. they're uh-huh. making fun mm-hmm. of trope where you, you think about that all the time when you're watching this, like, mm-hmm. like they'll be like, I'll pick you up at dinner time or something like that. It's yeah. like, where you uh, they'll, they're like, okay, um, I'll see you at eight. And it's like, you guys didn't establish who's picking up who, what restaurant you're going to, where, or like how we we're going to get in contact. know where that person is. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and, it, and it's a funny sketch where it points out this thing, like where you in your head, you're like, oh yeah, they, they totally do that. Whereas this, it gets to the point where you're like, oh yeah, they, yeah, I know that, I know, I get it. It doesn't bother me that much. Like the movie gets to this point yeah. where it's like, it's so stupid, right? It's like, yeah, it's stupid, but I still like these movies. <laughs> okay, well, I, 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 in in to to keep us from also treading on that territory of just kicking this movie while we've already kicked it enough times, let's um, let's give it a rom com Oscar. Um, meanest movie. Meanest movie. <laughs> Yes, that is a good one. Um, I'll try to come up with something else. Um, meanest film. I I would say most disappointing. Mm. Like I'm going to be that dad right now. I'm going to be that parent who's just most disappointed. Well, it's like the kid in Dead Poets Society where it's like, I know what rhymes with cat. Where it's like, you're just going for the easy A of like the easy target of like, I'm not even going to try. What can I, uh, cat, bat, hat, fat, <laughs> where it's like, at least like Mike Myers went after this genre. It's like, whoa, where'd, where'd you come from with that? That's great. And Blazing Saddles, like Westerns, 
people know Westerns, but have you thought about it like this? We're like, there's some kind of thought going into it. There's no thought going into this movie. Yeah. yeah. Or at least if, if it was, it became vapid. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, Wait, let's just, who would you fall in love with? Oh, you're asking me this time. Oh, I feel so special. Um, fuck. <laughs> it's so hard because like, n- like we said a hundred times, nobody is, I mean, nobody's a character. There's that weird moment where they go to, um, like, uh, Amy Poehler's parents' house and you find out that her parents are like, like white supremacists. Yeah. (laughs) And, and it's like, like how interesting would that movie be if that was an actual part of a film? Yeah. That would have felt like a fun satire movie. Yeah. That's the, where it's meet the parents, but it's meet the white supremacists. Yeah. And, and you're just like, Oh God, <laughs> how do I do this? That would but, be a fun movie. And, and like, there's like, I'm, I, those are like, I'm trying to think of an ulterior character that just was something in this film. Like I kind of liked, um, I think I'm going to go with Jason. Manzukas. I, I think I'm going to go with Jason Manzukas. <laughs> Because he was the only normal human person in this film. Um, I I really liked like Amy Poehler. I liked her acting in this film, and like she she made a lot of stuff land that shouldn't have. And yeah. I'm like all about that. Yeah. But as far as like who could I potentially fall in love with in this film, it would either have to be her or uh, just because I like Jason Menzukis, I'm gonna go with him. I'm going to go with Ellie Kemper because she's cute. And I think someone tricked her into being in this movie. Yeah. I, they're her and Bill Hader, both. They're like, you guys just have to show up for like a day, four hours. Yeah. And just like run through some lines with us and spitball. Oh, I had another stray thought about the production being so cheap. Grab it before it gets away. Um, if you knew you didn't have so much money, why not actually deal with it instead of, trying to stretch it and clearly not be able to do it. Like there's so many shots where it's like, okay, you didn't have the money to pull this shot off and you still tried and you knew you didn't have it. Why did you even bother? If you look at something like Joss Whedon's much ado about nothing, he knew he didn't have any money. He had nothing. So he shot it in his house during the writer's strike, right? Yeah. So he shot it at his house and it's just kind of like, you can tell it's cheap, but he made use of it. Like he tried, he, he did something with it. He didn't try and make it look like Firefly. He made it look like what he could do well on a very limited budget. These well, producers should have known better that they couldn't have done it well. So why bother? Well, I, th- I don't think they were concerned because I think that's another thing where like the disdain of the, the subject matter comes in where why try very hard if we're already kicking this thing? Yeah. Like, like I think they thought it would just feed into the feeling of like satireness. If we made, if we, if we show people how stupid this is and we make it look stupid, then it'll only complement the other. And it just didn't work like that. Yeah. Um, uh, let's not, yeah, you're, you're right. Let's not, let's not be any, anymore. And, and, I think as a token of diplomacy, we should reach out and say, 
if you're like us and you love rom-coms, but you completely disagree with our views and you enjoyed it, I still, I want to be your friend and I hope I didn't hurt your feelings. Yeah, for sure. If you love this movie and we didn't see it, like, please write in and tell us like, what did we miss? Like we, you probably won't on this one. You probably won't convince us of anything, but like, please, I want to know. I want to know that this movie made somebody happy just because that way I know that it's not just a stinking poop pile that was put out into the world Yeah, and it just made the world worse. And then again, zoomed way out conceptually. I get it. Rom-coms should yeah. be made fun of. It's there's well, a lot yeah, of tropes that should be didn't made fun Rebel of. Didn't Rebel Wilson just do this? She did, and we need to check that out. Yeah, um, like I, I think that film is going to be a lot more fun for me. I mean, I but now I definitely don't have my hopes up. My hopes are like in the gutter right now. I'm so. I know we try to be eclectic, but do we dare and do two spoofs in a row? Or do nah, we? No, 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 no. Okay. No, I, I need a palate cleanser. Okay. I really, I want to come at that one fresh, not not feeling like I have a bad taste in my mouth. Okay, but it'll be very, very interesting to do a compare and contrast um, between yes. those two movies. I feel like we should do kind of a guided role that we watch such a bad movie that we should treat ourselves to a movie that we know okay. we'll like. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Ryan, I have picked out seven movies. Seven. So what we're doing. Wait, who am I? Seven. Monica. Yeah. Good. Monica. Monica. Um, Okay. Um, Since we just thoroughly trashed this film this week, we're going to do something a little nice and kind of kind of go for go for something that we 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 have a we know we're going to have a higher regard for it'll make week. us feel um, bubbly and warm in our tubbies so what i've done is i've picked out five films that you just uh, said seven uh well i only have i okay there are seven sorry there are only five up there right now okay, <laughs> okay so i have i have seven <clears throat> i have seven films that ryan I know Ryan at least will definitely like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to give me a number between one and seven? Yes, I'm going to go with six. Pick up sticks. Six. Okay. Then it looks like we're going to be watching Juno. Oh. All right. Yes. All right. All right. Hey, and we have shout outs this week. Actually, we just have one shout out, um, and that's going to be. All right. That shout out is to um, Jasmine Cottrell. Um, and she gave us so many movies. Um, we she, Some of which we had like 27 Dresses, Monster-in-Law, The Wedding Planner, The Proposal, Crazy Rich Asians, um, uh, Coming to America we had, um, Hitch we had. But she added... <laughs> um, Deliver Us from Eva, The Best Man, Why Did I Get Married, Brown Sugar, uh, Just Right, and Booty Call. So yeah, um, a lot adding of, some much much needed color to our list. Yeah, a lot of great black rom-coms that weren't on our list and definitely showed that we have that um, bias. We have some holes in our, our, our experiences. Yeah, definitely bias, definitely privilege, definitely ignorance of just like we didn't seek those out. And 
like for me, there's hundreds of films that I just know about that I need to go check out. But like the black rom-com. That's kind of the cool thing about doing this, this podcast is we, we just like, and generally we just have a random movie that we pick, but um, hopefully those will just pop up sometime soon. Yeah. And it's, thank you. I needed these recommendations because I was clearly in a bit of a corner and I'm really thankful that we got these. Um, all right. Well, Hey Ryan, where can people find us? Uh, you can find us, uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, and Twitter. Sometimes we are at romcom gents all across the board. And you can email us at romcom gents at gmail.com. Um, feel free to drop us a line and Hey, rate and review us or tell us, tell, tell your friends about us. Uh, we promise we're much nicer to movies. Generally speaking. <laughs> yeah. This is your first um, episode. We're usually very positive people. Generally, this is a labor of love and it's not even a labor most of the time. Um, but we, we really love the genre. And so we just couldn't let this one stand. And I do want to cap this and say, I love all the people in this movie. Me too. And generally what they make. And I think what we just witnessed was when your grumpy professor just had to let it all out. Like just get that tirade out of there so we can get back to work. But, but like, man, when you're a newspaper and you got yelled at by newspaper professor, it's like, but we can get back were to you work. ever chewed out in school, like in front of people. Um, my class was chewed out in newspaper, but, Oh yeah. By McPherson. Yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah. I mean, I was there too. The class as a whole got chewed out. I never personally got chewed out, and I'm trying to think of any English class where anyone was chewed out ever. And, you know, even, uh, well, I actually witnessed one of my friends get chewed out because he wore kind of a, a sexist shirt, mm. <laughs> and our um, Pam Parker really let him have it, um, but she was really good at that. Yeah, I've seen students get embarrassed, but not chewed out. I wish I could have embarrassed these film people and not chew them out. But that was us chewing them out and saying, we're going to watch Forgetting Sarah Marshall. We're going to watch I Love You, Man. I Love You, Man. We're going to watch Clueless, and we're going to say, Paul Rudd is a god amongst men. Uh, And also, Amy Poehler, she she has this movie with... um, with Tina Fey, where I think they're sisters and they throw like kind yeah, of a called ranger sisters. birthday party. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I'm looking forward to that. And baby Th- mama, didn- baby mama was fun. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. I, but this one I'm not coming back to. I don't think this is one of those movies that I can't recommend and I will never watch again unless it's for a class of like, unless it's for like an intellectual drop into how to make a movie poorly. I'm not going to watch it. That's that's how I feel. And um, we're off to Brighter Horizons next week with Juno. I cannot wait. Me neither. All right. I love you, Ryan. I love you too. <clears throat> and this is where we will say goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, will you?
Tromkoms, 